is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Um, it's been a while since we've done it. We've not done one for the last couple of weeks. Can Jason and myself, Corey, have been in uh, umpteen different directions, doing lots of different things. We've still been trying to do some stuff on the social medias, but we've not been able to sit down and thoroughly do a podcast. Jason, alas, is not with me today, but I am not alone. Um, I'm with a returning guest of the podcast who's been a big voice in the Save Derby County campaign um, and someone who's also in the same time zone as myself and is an ardent Rams fan, um, Ryan Bourne. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast, and how the heck are you? Uh, great to be with you, Corey. I'm bearing up. Uh, it's kind of emotionally draining, everything that's been going on and trying to juggle, uh, you know, doing what we can with the uh, Save Derby County campaign with everything else going on in our lives is um, you're juggling a few different balls at once but uh, hopefully some good news is on the horizon. Yeah do you ever feel like sometimes that you're doing that we're doing all this stuff for the Save Derby County campaign you have all this stuff and then like for me and you because we're in the states and you're like you're walking out to a grocery store and you're already stressed and you're feeling this anxiety and then someone's like I'm not taking your coupon at the grocery store and you're just like uh, you just get like irrationally angry because there's all this other additional stress that you're trying to like, God, just um, come on, you know, you ever feel that? Or is that just me? Yeah. I think the most difficult thing for me is um, obviously where we're five hours behind here on the East coast, you kind of wake up and one of the first things you do is check Twitter for any news. And then you're kind of going through five, you know, five, six hours of commentary that people have given on events um, through the morning. And so you're desperately like trying to catch up on actually where we are. Yeah. And and so you're kind of feeling the burden of like, you know, half a day's news or information in the first five to 10 minutes. And that's obviously up. motivating you to get out of bed to to go on and take on the day with a positive attitude because you're already been hit in the face with five hours of information, like you said, that's more or less mostly negative some days, depending on how the results go and, and the news that comes out. Ryan, I wanted to get your I wanted to get your perspective on this because we've got some news, actually, I guess I don't know if you can consider it breaking, but it's just come out a, a little bit ago. Um, the Derby administrators review formal bids following a deadline being reported by Rob Dorsett at Sky. Um, but essentially, they said that Newcastle former managing director Lee, uh, Lee Charnley was at the director's box last night at Pride Park in the game against Millwall. Um, there have been a number of late inquiries made. It looks like maybe finally this might be coming to a conclusion because if you have the three people, which we already knew uh, were interested in the club, the administrators are. are hopefully closer to naming a preferred bidder. So then obviously you're going to get a few other people who try to get in, you know, in the 11th hour, this can only be good news, right? Yeah, I think so. Obviously for a long time, the view of the administrators, at least the publicly stated view of the administrators was that the, you know, the the key roadblock to coming out of administration were the legal claims from Middlesbrough and Wickham. Um, So obviously over the past couple of weeks, we've seen big developments on that. Uh, Mel Morris obviously uh, writing and the open letter in which he suggested that he wanted to take this to to court uh, well 
that he'd bear the claims in court personally rather than them hanging over Derby. And that that appeared to then generate movement and him and Steve Gibson are better. So I think the fact that we're at a stage where there's so much kind of media speculation that a preferred bidder is near kind of vindicates what the administrators were saying for all those months, that this was the key roadblock. We don't know how the Wickham claim uh, is ultimately been or has been dealt with, uh, but it does seem as if we're nearing a situation where a preferred bidder can be named. I heard earlier on in the week um, that uh, the and the Andy Appleby group bid, uh, they that group wasn't able to match the highest bid and so kind of decided to take a, a step back or, 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 you know, wouldn't be the preferred bidder. Um, I, I've now seen that rumour kind of floating around on, on various different parts of the internet. Of course, we won't really know until the, the news comes through. But it appears as if there's two uh, bids left. We kind of presume that one of those is a Mike Ashley bid and the other one, um, the bid from the Binney brothers. But, you know, whether whether that second bid or, or whether one of those bids is actually uh, somebody new or, or somebody that was talked about in the past, like Peter Gadsby, I don't know. Uh, but it does appear as if we're going to be getting some more news in the next couple of days. And that, you know, that is good news. We kind of forget that three or four weeks ago, uh, the situation looked extraordinarily grim. It didn't look like there was an easy route uh, through the Middlesbrough and, and Wickham claims. And that we're at this situation where we're talking about this has made me much more confident about the future of the club than I was three, four weeks ago. Yeah, because we did, like you said, we had we had the march uh, in, in, in Derby with, with tens of thousands of fans. And it looked like going into the game against Birmingham might be the last ever game for, for Derby. And then obviously we got that state execution for the additional month um, and everything like that. But I think you're dead on, Ryan. I think for me, the key aspect here was Mel Morris. When Mel Morris finally came out and he finally said, hey, look, enough's enough here. If you want to take me to court, you're going to take someone to court, you need to take me. You don't need to worry about everybody else. Let's just do this mano y mano kind of thing. And then obviously, I think, I don't know whether it was at the Riverside where they met or they met elsewhere, but they seem to, to kind of come together very quickly on some sort of agreement, whether that's monetary compensation. We don't know what that is. We're not privy to those details, but um, it did seem to clear a major roadblock. And we, and we had heard that the Wickham chairman was flying in from New Orleans to, to do some whatever, but we know the Wickham one wasn't as monetarily damaging or the claim wasn't as large as, as the Middlesbrough claim. So, you know, Thankfully, Mel reared his head and did did do something to step up to the plate here to, to finally get to some sort of conclusion. And it does really feel like for me that this we've had many false starts over the last 18 months, starting with with the Benziad group. We've had many, many false starts, but this starts to feel like this is finally drawing to a conclusion because, like you said, the, the roadblocks are now gone. The, now we're in a position where we can name these where we can finally name these bidders. Um, and like you said, the Binney brothers are still in there. And we've heard reports of Mike Ashley as well. And we know Mike Ashley's fussed with cash. We know that he wants to get back in the game because his PR guy came on the, the TV not too long ago. What was it? Week, 10 days ago. And said he still wants to buy the football club. So um, for me, I mean, it, it looks like good news. I want to be able to make sure that Derby County has a future. Obviously, I don't want Derby County to go bust. Um, and, and the deadline, again, uh, you know, for it to be the end of March, you know, get this in with plenty of time and then we'll see what happens um, if and when that happens. So we'll go cautiously optimistic, Ryan, but cautiously optimistic for the next 24 to 48 hours. And hopefully this is a real 48 hours and not a weird Derby time warp of 48 hours where that turns into, I don't know, an indefinite period of time. Yeah, and I mean, this is a preferred bit of being named. I mean, I'm not an expert in the whole process, but 
it is only the beginning of the end, um, uh, uh, you know, of the scenario that we have to go through. There's a process by which the club comes out of administration. There's obviously a lot of uh, big questions still overhanging, um, whether the, the nature of the bid and, and it eventually going through will be enough for the EFL to lift the embargo for registering new players or, or signing new contracts, what the kind of form of the business plan um, imposed on the club or negotiated with the EFL will ultimately look like. Of course, form on the pitch is going to determine uh, what what division we're in next year, and that has big um, financial implications for the business side of the club too. So, you know, I, we shouldn't pretend that we're on the way to the, you know, walking down the primrose path. Um, there's still a hell of a lot of things to sort out and a lot of uncertainty surrounding the club. Um, but I think most fans have have kind of accepted mentally over the past couple of months that Derby County's existence obviously is much more important than what division uh, we're playing in next season so this is good news cautiously optimistic as ever um, and let's hope we get that preferred bidder in the next couple of days I think it would be a massive boost if we got it before the weekend's game as well oh I agree definitely especially with the with the run fixtures we have coming up and, and Ryan it's very much like buying a house you can't just go in there and say, Ryan, I'm going to offer you X amount of money for your house. And you just turn the keys over and you're like, yep, there you go. See you. Thank you. And, you know, you and your wife are moving on out with the with the U-Haul truck. There's a lot of different things that go, have to go on with paperwork and, and agreements and different things and inspections and whatever. So this is just a very, very expensive house. So like you say, it is the beginning of the end. But, you know, once they name it, hopefully things start the process of moving. Maybe the embargo gets lifted. Maybe we can sign players and, and that kind of stuff for the run in. Um, because the squad is looking very thin, which we want to talk about in a little bit. And Ryan, there's one thing I want to talk about before we go into the last couple of games. And that's this news that the EFL have come out and they've changed the FFP rules mid-season. Um, and again, it, it, again, it seems very weird that you, you have a... It's like the FA Cup. You either have VAR in all the matches or you have VAR in none of the matches. You can't have them in some and have them not. It just seems a very weird thing. And Darby were docked penalties, and I'll be, rightly so. I'll, I'll hold my hand up, rightly so, for, for the things that they, the creative accounting that they had done. I'm not one, I, I believe Darby should have been punished, and they were. But it's a bit weird from an organization, from a governing body, to switch your financial rules midseason. Am I right in that, Ryan, or am I, am, I just, am I just being a weird conspiracy theorist here? No, I don't think you're being a conspiracy theorist. I mean, Darby fans are upset with the EFL statement for a couple of reasons, right? They're upset that um, in, in, in passing a motion where uh, they kind of clarified how you should do the amortization of players going forwards. That that was like a admittance that those rules weren't clear when when Derby engaged in the different practice financial practice that they did, which was the thing that ultimately uh, we got charged for, and which led to the reassessment of those years' accounts and ultimately the you know the nine point um, penalty that we got uh, stemming from breaching financial fair play. Now, on that front, I think that the EFL was always going to do something like that. Clubs were always going to agree. And I think it makes sense to engage in a clarification of the rules after um, a lack of clarity has led to one club um, being quite innovative and, and, and trying to work around the spirit of the rules, which is, let's face facts, which is what Mel Morris and Derby County were trying to do. Um, I think, though, the bigger question is the one that you raise, which is that it seems to me, even if... Um, you know, 23 of the 24 clubs kind of voted for it. Changing the limits of financial fair play within a season for that season 
um, when many clubs have made financial decisions, personnel decisions um, with the existing rules in mind, whether that be deciding not to, that they're unable to buy a player in January because they might be in breach of financial fair play or uh, not being able to offer someone a contract and losing that player. Or, you know, even smaller things, right? It, not being able to relay the pitch, which <laughs> could have had a big impact on the type of football being played on it. All of these sorts of decisions. I think it's anti-competitive to change the rules uh, mid-season. And, you know, it might be, you can have a situation where it's in every club's individual financial interests to change the rules. Uh, but given those rules as they were governed affected a whole range of decisions, I just think it's, you know, against the spirit of the sport to change these rules mid-season. Now, you can change them for the next season, fine, and you can admit that COVID is having a scarring impact um, on, on, on clubs, um, and that affects everyone. But, you know, at a time when, when certain clubs have taken that into consideration, they might have invested more in, you know, trying to find innovative ways of, of selling tickets to more people. I don't see why you should kind of midway through that campaign then change the goalposts, which is what, what I think has been done here. And let's and let's be clear, you know, the EFL ultimately is a members organization. This wasn't a top-down thing from the EFL Supremos. Obviously, they oversee and facilitate these meetings, but this was something that was agreed between the clubs. I just think it's against the spirit of the sport. I think it's anti-competitive. Um, and even if it didn't affect Derby, and even if Derby voted for it. Um, I would have still been opposed to to that happening. Yeah, and it was weird because the timing of it was weird because I think the Telegraph reported a few days previous to that that were like as many as nine or ten championship clubs could potentially face points deduction. And the EFL, I guess, read that and was like, we need to do something about that. And I agree. I think the clarity was needed because, again, we saw this with Derby for years with the buying and the selling of the stadium, with the amortization policy. They worked in this gray area. And technically, it wasn't wrong, but it just – was not kosher with what the other clubs were doing, but now they've got that clarity. But again, like you say, they could easily say, Hey, Ryan, I'm changing the rules in May. So get your financial house in order. You've got till May to do it. But then to change them with 15, 16 games left in the middle of a season is a bit, bit weird. You do it at a calendar year. Sure. I could maybe understand that you could do that at the end of the season. Sure. I could probably understand that too, but you know, middle of February, you're kind of like, I don't know. This is just, this is again, kind of weird and, and everything like that. So yeah, no, and I think that, um, I mean, I think the point here is that um, what that situation, if those media reports were right and as many as kind of seven, eight, nine clubs perhaps would have been in breach of financial fair play and faced future penalties, I think that's justification for a bit of soul searching on behalf of the EFL to, to be like, well, are these, are these financial fair play, is this framework actually justified? I think there are all sorts of problems and perverse incentives created especially when you combine financial fair play with with uh, parachute payments. I think, you know, clearly ambitious clubs, as Derby were under Mel Morris, were looking to make investments to get up. And so to try and circumvent the strictures that were uh, placed on them um, through the financial fair play rules, they were trying to find ways of um, kind of backloading the, 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 the costs of the investments they were making pushing them off into future years and trying to get up into the Premier League in the interim, right? That's what they were trying to do. Um, but you have to remember, Derby were competing with teams who were being relegated from the Premier League, having these vast parachute payments for a couple of years. And that's the world they were living in. So, you know, when the EFL 
sees these reports or perhaps hears from clubs or clubs get together and say we're at risk of next year's competition being in uh, sporting disrepute because we're going to have so many teams starting on on negative points. I think the rational reaction to that and the fair kind of sporting reaction to that is to actually rethink the whole um, financial strictures and the financial rules that are imposed. I think the unsporting thing to do is to say, okay, therefore, uh, you know, at least two thirds of us are going to vote to change the rules this year because we we don't want to be in a in position like Derby and Reading uh, uh, are this year, next year. I, you know, I it it might be in their interest, as I say, but I don't think it's in the interest of the sport, and I think it brings the game into disrepute. Yeah, and I've always looked at it like, again, I think football has a money problem because there's plenty of teams that have plenty of money and then there's plenty of teams that don't have plenty of money. And, you know, football is is becoming very quickly a sport. You know, owners are going to have to be multi-billionaires, right? We, we know that the Premier League is like a protected class. And I think that football just needs to have a hard look at itself in general in terms of finances. And they need to have a hard look at how do we do these things properly? Because like you say, if, you, if, if all you're trying to do is backload debt and backload these, these monies so I can avoid paying it because if I get to the Premier League, who, who cares? Like, like someone like Aston Villa, for say, for instance, who cares? We go up. All, if Derby County goes up and beat Aston Villa, we're not in this situation. Yeah, because, yeah, no, I totally because, agree. Because the goalkeeper doesn't catch a ball or because they don't start a striker in the final, these small decisions, you know, we're here two years later where we were a couple of weeks ago on the pinnacle of not having a football club anymore. So I think maybe this needs to start a wider conversation with not only EFL, but with the FA and the Premier League as well. And, and FIFA and UEFA and all the other competitions, you know, to have a good hard look at itself with, with, with finances in general and, and maybe do a hard reset. I don't know whether the answer is for the Premier League to, to dish out more money into the footballing pyramid. So this, you know, so that more teams get a windfall. I don't know whether I think, I think I read somewhere where parachute payments aren't going to be a thing next season or within a couple of years, they're going to start to be reduced and things like that on the financial impact. But I think this needs to start a, a bigger conversation about football finance, football clubs, and the way that they manage finances in general going forward into the future, because a lot of the debt that these clubs have is, is horribly unsustainable. I mean, if, if someone like myself and you own this much debt to, to banks, I'd have people coming knocking on my door and they'd be dragging me away. And I, you know, I'd be declaring bankruptcy and stuff, but because, you know, because you have an institution like Manchester United and they owe a billion pounds, you know, someone needs to have a hard look at that and say, at some point, this is not economically feasible to continue to, to loan out this money at the end of the day, you know? And, and I think hopefully this is a, a starting point that they can maybe have a conversation, a serious conversation about the future of football finance and how we want the game to look and be governed for the next, for the next, decade or so yeah and i think that's a really good point and i think coming out of this obviously you're seeing in the uk you know in the uk um in parliament at the moment there are proposals for the introduction of an independent regulator i've actually got very different views on that uh from most other derby fans um i think i don't think you know I, i think it's very tempting to compare the the messy real world that we live in with uh a world in which we imagine some benevolent government regulator is going to come in and solve all the problems i've dealt with government regulators i've written about government regulators um i don't see them as as you know the the future over the rainbow and i think the problem that you're highlighting is is kind of an impulse that many people have which is you know the football finances are out of control therefore we need a ton of new regulation the the problem with that is 
there are trade-offs, right? So one of the trade-offs is if you impose such stringent regulations in terms of what the clubs can spend relative to the revenue that they're getting, um, you tend to a certain extent to ossify the um, teams in the kind of positions they would be based on their current financial clout, right? So we don't want a situation where it's almost impossible to go up and down the leagues or uh, to break into the Premier League and, and, and do relatively well. Um, we, we don't want to create a situation where it's very hard to found a new club and come up through the leagues, like the stories like Salford or AFC Wimbledon. Uh, you know, th those are great stories. And um, to a certain extent, you know, you want um, clubs that are managed extremely badly uh, financially um, to suffer the consequences of that. Now, I don't mean by going out of business, but in sporting terms, you know, when when those chickens come home to roost, you want to see them falling down the boot. That's part of the dynamism of the game, uh, I think. Um, football clubs do have a hell of a lot of meaning, and you've seen the kind of outpouring that we, you know, through this Save Derby County uh, campaign. But I would just say, you know, the remarkable fact when you think about it over the last centuries actually how few clubs have gone under. There are not many industries where <laughs> most of the teams, the vast majority of the teams that existed um, 120 years ago or 100 years ago um, uh, still occupy prominent positions in the industry they're in. So football is very, very different to other industries. I just worry that um, if we move to a world where we say, okay, we want um, top-down kind of government regulation, which will inevitably be a slippery slope to uh, kind of regulating players' salaries, regulating ticket sales, all these sorts of things that could affect the international competitiveness, the international uh, law of the Premier League. We have to be very, very careful about that. We have to be very careful not to just make it so it's impossible for ambitious teams with ambitious owners who want to put money in uh, to invest and try and compete at a higher level. We don't want to, like, you know, as I say, like ossify, keep everybody in their place and just have quite a stagnant pyramid. Yeah, because again, when you look at the Premier League today, you've got that that top six teams and I can, I, me and you, Ryan, can sit here and we could probably predict who's going to win the Premier League in two years' time because it's going to be one of four teams. Um, do you think something, Ryan, would that they have in Major League Baseball, right? They don't have a hard salary cap in Major League Baseball, but they do have a luxury tax where they average up everybody's salaries. And if you go over so much percent of, you know, the average salaries or the average revenue or expenditure that the teams are going, do you think you could get a situation like that if, you know, every team spends whatever? And if you spend in excess, you, you pay the league some sort of penalty? Would, would, would something like that work? Or is that, is that a bit too crazy for, for English football? Um, I think it's a bit different with the American sports because they tend to be overwhelmingly one nation sports. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there are obviously baseball leagues in Japan, Japan and Mexico, whatever. Yeah, but there are different and, scales and everything like but, that. Yeah. yeah, they are very, very different scales. Whereas, you know, the Premier League, there's different levels of competition in, in European soccer, right? Yeah. European football. Um, there's, there's kind of the competition within divisions. Then there's um, the competitions between different kind of pyramid so my my kind of instinctive reaction to to something like that is that if that was imposed in the in the UK but not say in the Spanish leagues or the the German leagues or the Italian leagues um you'd get a lot of clubs complaining quite quickly about the anti-competitive um um nature of that I mean 
I think I'm right in saying in the in the early 2000s, um, there was a tax reform in Spain that basically meant if you were a really top earner, your tax rate was was much lower than it had been. And I think it was even a football specific tax break. And that was the period where Real Madrid attracted all the Galacticos. And I'm not saying it was just because of that. Um, but, you know, players are what we as economists would describe as economic agents. They respond to incentives. Um, so I would worry about the kind of um, kind of the, the effects that, that might have on the Premier League, at least, um, being able to attract the, the really top talent. Um, because you're right, now, if, obviously, if, if, if a player can go, if a player can go and play, you know, let's say Festia Baselli gets offered a quarter of a million dollars a week, he's going to go. Or if Darby offer £600,000 a week to Cristiano Ronaldo, he'll come to Pride Park and play because it doesn't matter because he's, he's making generational wealth in, in that respect. Like, like you say, they will go where the money is. And that's no bad thing for them because they have a short-term career, but it's, it's all about finances and how much you pay them. Yeah, I mean, it's not all about finances because clearly, you know, there was a lot of money going into the Chinese leagues and there are only a few players that actually went out there and they tended to be towards the end of their careers, you know, some of the MLS teams. But that kind of um, attraction as a league has been built up, obviously, with the history, then with the extra money coming in from, from Sky Sports in the 90s and the development of like the international Premier League has has been a long time in the making. And I think, you know, imposing extraordinarily crude financial strictures on it. I'm not saying that overnight it would lead to, you know, I'm sure the supporters of all the teams would still be there and still be there in the numbers. But as, as you know, it's not just the supporters that are the fans of the, the supporters in the stadiums that are the fans of the clubs anymore. There are people like me and you following Derby across the Atlantic. Well, there's, there's millions and millions of people doing that for most Premier League uh, clubs. And uh, I think one of the one of the tensions actually in, in a lot of this debate around um, the future of football is that uh, we as, as fans, uh, particularly local fans, kind of inherently see the club as ours, right? And uh, to a certain extent, that is true. <laughs> tend to be the only constant in football clubs. It's not like uh, other businesses, you tend to get um, a lot of movement in and out in terms of personnel and managers and owners um, and the fans are, are the kind of constant holding it together. Uh, but increasingly, particularly for Premier League clubs, um, the customer base is international as well. And so when that side of it is generating so much revenue for the teams, they're going to respond to it. And I think you know that's some of the the reason why you saw clubs looking towards things like the Super League, because they, they, they want to make this as attractive to as many people as possible. So, Ryan, turning our attentions to something that's probably a little bit more fun. I mean, I know you love economics. I like economics, but we, we watch football not for the boardroom, but we watch it for on the pitch. So the last couple of games for Derby um, got a last minute win against Peterborough. And then obviously last night, a uh, bit of a bit of a disappointing performance against Millwall. Let's let's start with the Peterborough game because they kicked off and, and Derby were pretty dominant basically for the entire game. Um, Fastia Baselli was given given the the uh, the right hand side an absolute fit. Colson ended up getting sent off with two quick fire yellows. Um, Tom Lawrence got sent off, which I want to get your opinion on. 
uh, straight red three games for for Captain Tom, even though he's in a, in a good midst of his career. And then Louis Sibley, who is alive because he, I didn't realize this because it was like he just disappeared off the face of the earth, but he pops up, he gets the winner. Um, but it was it was a massive win, wasn't it, Ryan, for the for the bottom of the table because it was a six pointer. Yeah, and I thought we did play really well. Um, I thought we moved the ball incredibly quickly, uh, great at recycling it. Um, uh, the overlapping, particularly on the right-hand side, I mean, you had Byrne, Eberselli and Knight. And they seemed to just be kind of spinning around each other and uh, creating chance after, you know, we had some really good chances. Um, there's not many games where we kind of create so many kind of clear-cut chances and have the keeper working as much as we we did. Um, Peterborough, you kind of have to put it into context. Peterborough are a very, very poor side, probably the worst that's probably the worst team's performance I've seen at, at Pride Park for a long time. But, you know, I went into that game with a really nasty feeling that there was a banana skin there for us and it was going to completely uh, deflate us. And going in at half time with Peterborough down to 10 men, you kind of think, we've just got to be patient. We've got to get through this and the goals will come because uh, we were creating chances. And then you have that Tom Lawrence sending off two minutes into the second half. Because it really revels um, things. You sit there and you go against 10-man Peterborough. They're not going to be able to hold out for an hour. We're dominant in this game. And then straight from the kickoff, whatever Rooney said in the dress room, that plan goes out the window because Tom Lawrence was a silly boy. Yeah, I think obviously it was a it was a rush to the head. I mean, we've we've always known that 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 Tom has that in his game. But what I would say is um you know, we shouldn't judge him just on that moment. I mean, he's had a great season. He's had his best season for Derby, uh, in my opinion. Um, he's, his performances have been a lot more consistent. Um, I think we saw last night in the game um, against Millwall that we kind of miss him linking up the, the midfield to the attack. And I think we did miss him. Um, but obviously, it's very, very costly. And the, I think the problem, the problem that we face now, particularly with the the result yesterday against Millwall is that um, I think we have a competitive team and I think we give most teams a game. I think the only game that I've really sat through this year and thought we haven't played badly and we're not going to get anything from this, uh, we played badly and we're not going to get anything from this was actually a way to Birmingham. Even in the Middlesbrough game, you know, we played, we were in it at, at one all and, um, uh, and, and, you know, kind of still battling, but um the problem is when when things like uh, Tom Lawrence's red card happen at the moment, we've got such a thin, depleted squad uh, that those rash moments are really costly. I think it was really costly um, to not have Ravel Morrison around as an option for three games because of the red at Forest. I think it's really costly um, to, to lose Richard Stearman um, for three games as well and be able to recycle uh, the centre-backs a bit. Um, so it, it does worry me a bit that a bit of kind of ill-discipline has kind of slipped into the team in the past couple of months, because we didn't have that through much of the rest of the season. Um, but I think that, you know, it's both a cause and consequence of, of the key problem we face, which is this depleted squad, because players are playing and they're tired and they're when you're chasing a game or the pressure's on, you're more likely to stretch out or, you know, overreact to something, um, particularly as we get to the end of the season. But of course, that compounds the problem. Um, now, the players that are playing, 
you know, most of them are having to play 90 minutes. Uh, most of the important players are having to play 90 minutes, sometimes three times a week. And that's a lot. It's asking a lot of very, very young players. Because I sit back and, I, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Derby had, with no injuries and no suspensions, they give teams very competitive competitive run. We've seen a couple injuries come in with, with CKR. He's come back. We've got Juzviak still out. And then, you know, the last thing that you need is something that you can control and you can control your temperament to an, to an extent, right? You can't always control it when you're, when you're battling these things. But three straight red cards in a matter of, what one every other game I think it is now we've had three straight reds in six games um you know and, and the players are just coming back and, and like you said Ravel and and then Stearman and now Tom Lawrence you know you're just hopeful that that the I guess the mini break that these players are forced to be half can come back and give them a little bit of renewed energy and that Darby can tread water but you know with the with the numbers that Darby have and the squad size that they have we can't be we can't we can't afford to to do silly things like suspensions injury is going to happen. That's going to happen. There's nothing really that you can do about it. If your calf muscle goes, it goes. Sometimes those things just happen, but you know, the, the, the discipline and stuff, it is, it is not necessarily starting to worry me. I think if we get another red card or a couple more suspensions, I really will start to be worried about it. Um, but like I said, the numbers are so low and, and you're forcing these players week after week to continue to play in this pressure situation with no break. And it's, it is a relentless schedule. And, you know, we have an extremely small squad number and then squad numbers. But then we, even when you look at the senior pros and you take the, the players who are age 21 and under those players, I mean, Jason, not, yes, he's made a hundred already a hundred appearances for Derby's a full Irish international, but you know, it, it's still a lot to ask for a young lad to continue to play in these games, you know, and then again, you're also asking on the other age of the spectrum, Curtis Davis to continue to, to roll out there three times a week at 33, 34, which God, it, I used to think sound really old, but now I'm getting up there myself. I'm like, I, I can do that, you know, but, um, you know, you just hope that this is not a, this is not a thing. And before we talk about Millwall, Ryan, I wanted to get your thoughts on Tom Lawrence, because like you said, he's had been having a fantastic season. In my estimation, he's probably Darby's most influential player when he's on song. He's had a fantastic season um, for, from the way I look at it. But Rooney did say that he's going to give Tom Lawrence some time off and let Tom to go on vacation. Thoughts on that? Is that rewarding a player for ill discipline, or is that just saying, "Look, I know my team. There's nothing we can do about it. Go take go take a break and, and prepare yourself for for the next. I guess when he comes back, there'll be what eleven games left. So, how do you view this? Do you feel this is kind of like a you're on vacation? So, not that it's a reward, but you're kind of letting him off, or is it? Look, we can't use you. Just go off and recharge your batteries because you're important, and come back fit and ready to fire. I think it's the latter, more of the latter, but I think it's kind of more than that. I think it's man management on behalf of Rooney. I think he he recognises that this is a part of Tom Lawrence's game and you kind of have to take the rough with the smooth. I think even, you know, mentioned, you know, Tom is lucky that he's got a manager like me who kind of has done this type of thing in the past and understands it. Um, so I think what he's doing is just saying to him, look, these things do happen occasionally. This is obviously very costly for the team, but I want you to go away. I want you to like rest up and I want you to come back absolutely flying for those last 11 matches. And it does look like we're going to need him to be flying for those last 11 matches because, as you said, um, I do think we give most teams a game, but there are a lot of players who've had great seasons and are still playing well, uh, by the way, a lot of them. But ordinarily, you'd be giving a bit of a rest now. I mean, Jason Knight, can run all day but um you know some of those he's final... gonna hit a wall isn't he they're all gonna hit yeah, a but wall some, at some point 
Well, some of those final balls, um, some of those final balls he's putting in, you know, they just look like a player who's a little tired. Max Bird, another fantastic season, looking a little tired. Curtis is probably having his best season in a Derby shirt. But, you know, does does look a little um, tired now. And obviously, Festy, it looks as if he's kind of carrying an injury um, and trying to play through the pain barrier. Um, Luke Plange, you forget, it's his first season. He's <laughs> he, on the like he eight played professional. Yeah, yeah, he's played like eight games and we're, um, we're treating him like a kind of Chris Martin figure who's like the first <laughs> name on the team sheet every week. He's even like part of the song as like spine of the team. He's only played eight games. That just shows you, you know, the lack of depth uh, in the squad. But I think the important thing for us as Derby fans, especially given the position the club's in, is when we do lose a game like a game against uh, Millwall, is just not to re- overreact. Um, we didn't lose that game because the players weren't putting the effort and endeavour in. You know, they they really did try to pull it back in the second half and they dominated the game in the second half. I know Millwall were kind of sitting back and trying to absorb pressure, but we were testing. We were putting pressure on them. Um, I think Millwall had, had an extra, hadn't played uh, at the weekend, so they had a full, over a week off. Um, so... Yeah, I think we've got to cut them some slack. Some games like that are going to happen. We can't afford, if we want to stay up, for too many of them to happen. Uh, but the guys are putting so much effort and energy into these these matches. And we as supporters, I think, just have to acknowledge that, remember it, remember how young some of these lads are and get behind them. Yeah, because I think for me, you know, a lot of people were spelling doom and gloom and all oh, this is over, the great escape's over and whatever. I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played. There's still 13 games. Um, you know, there's going to be bumps in the road, but like you say, you, you can't afford. We can't. We can't go on a four or five game losing run. We can probably afford to lose one more, you know, with a couple draws between now and the end of the season. But again, it's the performances, and if you're putting in good performances and you're playing well, you're probably going to get results more often than not. Um, so you know, I thought for a while, by the way, Corey. I mean, I yeah. thought for a while what we what we really need. I know this kind of sounds obvious when you say it, but I think. An unexpected away win, you know, just sneaking oh, a one-nil yeah, away from home. I think it would just change the confidence level because at the moment we look like we're gonna, uh, you know, we look we, we look like we don't ever think we're beaten at home. You know, even against Millwall yesterday, I think you know we were still pushing towards the end. Away from home, um, Reading aside, when we go kind of one down, we tend to um, lose our shape a bit. Um, the confidence gets hit, and I think you know if we were to just nick one one away win, maybe at Luton at this weekend, that could be like the catalyst for winning three or four matches on on the spin. Ryan, that that's the perfect that's the perfect segue because now we're going to hear from our friend Kevin at the Lutertown Supporters Trust about his thoughts about this weekend's game at Kenilworth Road. Hi guys, hope you're well. Um, our season so far, well, I mean. Fantastic, really. You know, it's um, beyond our wildest dreams. Be sitting eighth in the table this deep into the season. What is it, a third left to go? I mean, if you'd asked any Luton fan at the start of the season if we'd be in this position, we'd have jumped out, took your hand off, really. It's, you know, it's just incredible. When you think where we've been, you know, just about staying up first season in the Championship two years ago, just about making the top half last season. Looks like we're going to improve on that this season. And, hey, who knows how far we can go. It, It really is... It's incredible. Um, the season's been fantastic. We're winning games left, right and centre. We're beating sides that we've no real right to beat. We're playing some great football. Um, there's really no no sort of... Um, nothing to 
be concerned about really as a Luton fan is just we're just having the time of our lives really it's fantastic a lot of that's down to the recent form uh, I think there's a stat doing the rounds isn't there that no team has picked up more points in the championship than Luton Town in 2022 I guess that tells you everything that you need to know about our current form I think we've won nine drawn one and lost two of our last 12 so um the results really, really good. Some of the performances really good in that time as well. Not all of them. Uh, it's, obviously, it's been a really, really heavy schedule of late. Uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, like like all the sides in this division. So one or two performances, we've had to grind out a win. But in the main, you know, no arguments at all with um, performances. We're playing some, some really good football. And long may that continue. Um, I'm sure it will do. There doesn't seem to be any sign of slowing down, although... Obviously, there's a certain cup game on the horizon which might focus minds as, as it sometimes does. But hey, uh, right now, absolutely no complaints. Thoughts on the manager? Well, I mean, what can you say about Nathan Jones? Uh, obviously, in previous podcasts that I've come on with you guys, uh, we've covered the fact that, you know, he came, he left and he's came back again. Um, but all that's behind us now. You know, the guy belongs here. He's got a team that runs through bricks, brick walls for him. He's got a fan base that loves him. He, you know, he fits us as much as we fit him. It's it's perfect. I think since he come back from Stoke, he's a better manager. I think he's more tactically aware. I think he's um, able to mix things up a little bit more. Uh, he's just a better manager. He's just more rounded. Um, uh, and the football he's got us playing, you know, we, we lost some big players last summer. I think we mentioned that when we came to you earlier in the season he lost some big players last summer but he's replaced them he brought in eight players he got the team to gel very very quickly and um yeah can't speak highly enough of nathan jones um more than delighted that he's back key players i mean the obvious ones you always look at the strikers don't you uh elijah adebayo he's the main man for us up front scored the equalizer at your place earlier in the season um really really good target man but not just a target man uh, got great feet as well. Um, if you give him half a yard, he'll take it. And if you give him a, a look at goal, he'll bury it. I think right now, though, the player of the season's Cal Naismith, centre-half. Um, absolutely fantastic player. Maybe not the kind of physical defender that sort of you guys would have, um, but brilliant with the ball at his feet. Scored a wonder goal against Bournemouth um, last month that uh, did the viral rounds on social media. I'm sure you saw it, where he took it on his chest and curled it in the bottom corner from the edge of the box. Uh, he just got off a wand of a left foot, absolutely fantastic. But keep an eye on Alan Campbell in the centre of the park. He is um, he, he's, he's growing to the championship. He's come from the Scottish football, but he's growing into championship football and uh, he's starting to look a real good player. Tactics, we're going to line up with a back three, two wing backs, three in midfield and obviously um, two up front. That, that, gen that tends to be the staple diet. I can't see that changing. Um, at all, so five three two, three five two. Call it what you will. Um, with an emphasis on playing in the opposition half, so probably more a three five two than a five three two. Strengths: uh, we are an athletic side. Um, we play really, really front foot football now. You know, during the pandemic, we kind of got away with playing a bit of a defensive sort of, not ugly, not boring, but kind of um, let teams come onto us and then attack kind of style. But that's not the case now. We'll go hunting the ball in the opposition half. Um, we're pretty good defensively uh, apart from Birmingham for some reason Birmingham scored 8 goals against us this season 5-0 and 3-0 apart from that though we're really really good defensively uh, if there's a weakness 
I'm not one for statistics really guys but I know um, I've been told an awful lot of times that if you look at our XG we should have scored an awful lot more goals than we have done I don't know if that's a weakness or not uh, some may see it that way I think one weakness though we've won 14 league games this season and they've all been when the opposition's had more of the ball so read into that what you will maybe we're a, we're better as a counter-attacking side than we are a side that uh, gives us a lot of the ball um, thoughts on Derby well I mean obviously for you guys as fans really feel sorry for you you're obviously gone through the ringer uh, I hope everything works out for you guys off the pitch I, you know if you stay up it'll be an absolute miracle I wish you well uh, none of you guys deserve what's happened uh, or, you know what's happened and all of this stuff is it's unfortunately it's you guys that get the fallout but obviously on the pitch you know you'd be much higher than you are without the points deduction I think Wayne Rooney's got you playing some nice stuff you've been on telly a few times recently I've watched a few of those matches and it seems to have maintained a nice balance between you know, even though you have to win not going like all out and sort of selling yourself uh, at the other end so um, you're going to be a tough opponent unfortunately for you guys we've been where you are I think I mentioned this on the other podcast uh, earlier in the season when we came to you the fact that we've been where you are now we won't disrespect you or, or overlook you like some of the other sides in this league will. You know, the big guys that might look at you at third bottom in the league and think, well, you know, this is an easy day's work. Or, you know, look at you that you're struggling financially and everything else. We've been there. We've done that. That won't be us. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to get a result from Kenilworth Road on Saturday, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to earn it fair and square. I don't, I don't see us just giving giving anything away. I mean, really and truly, you look at how the game will go. We are very, very good at home. Our home form this season has been really, really good, particularly recently. We're on a really, really good run at home. We haven't lost in 2022 at home. Uh, we've beaten some good sides here. Bournemouth have come down here, got beat. Um, we drew with Fulham. We drew with Blackburn. There are some good sides down here that have gone away with nothing. So um, I'm confident, I have to be honest, although I am a little bit sceptical that the Chelsea game on Wednesday... You know, when you have such a big game on the horizon, sometimes, you know, subconsciously everyone kind of, that game means more than this one. So there is that little kind of edge about the, about me from a mindset point of view for there. But if we're professional and we've got the attitude right, I really do think that I'm not disrespecting Derby in any way, shape or form. But I really think we're one of the better sides in this league, particularly on our own patch. And I think we will win. I kind of think back to that game that you came down here in the in our first season in the Championship when Wayne Rooney was a player and we won 3-2 that night. I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar sort of game on Saturday. I do think there'll be goals. We do tend to score, even though perhaps we don't score as many as the statistics say that we should do. Um, score prediction? I mean, it's, it's been quite a hectic sort of schedule, hasn't it? So I don't envisage us wiping the floor with anyone or anything like that. Um... 2-0, something like that, something along those lines, 2-0. I think we're good for a couple of goals at home. I can't remember the last sort of time that we haven't scored uh, a couple of goals on our own patch. And we are looking pretty good defensively. And I think you guys are missing Tom Lawrence, aren't you? So, uh, yeah, I'll go with a 2-0 Luton win. But I really wish you guys all the best um, after Saturday. I really hope that everything works out off the pitch and you know if you can pull off the great escape well all the best um all the best after saturday guys before the next segment i want to quickly talk to you about the fan hub app 
Fanobo looking to put fans first and change the game, giving back to the real heroes of football, us, the fans. Download the app now from Apple or Google stores and get involved predicting lineups, checking on match days and check your fan statistics. Compete against fans of our club and other football teams. Let's help get Derby County up that leaderboard. Also, it's a great way to get media content from all creators across the FanHub family, including our stuff at the Rams Review Podcast for Derby County. Download today and you can avoid the queue using our unique code. Contact us on social media for more details and check out the FanHub app and website. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back Four, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back Four provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff, so go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season, so stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the Six Yard Out folks. They do some amazing different kind of bespoke gifts, all kind of things Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs, and various different kits, and you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams Review as a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off. Really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners. So be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already. Um, again, that's, that's Flatback 4 and 6 Yards Out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the next segment. So now that we've heard from that, thank you, Kevin, from the Town Supporters Trust. Ryan, you're dead on. It's going to be a big game. And what better way to get away victory than this weekend at Kenilworth Road? Before we talk about the game, though, there's been a couple managerial changes that affect Darby. Grant McCann's been appointed at Peterborough. He's replaced uh, Darren Ferguson. Bit of an odd one for me because McAntony had backed um, Ferguson for a long time. They, But to be fair, Peterborough look a bit hapless right now. And then Redding sacked the manager. Not a surprise there because they've been pretty poor for like three months. But then to go get Paul Inns and expecting Paul Inns to save you after his last job was at Blackpool in 2014. I mean, you got to win. So what do I know? But I, I don't know. Paul Inns, that was just a, that was just a strange one. Maybe Thomas, Tom Inns is pulling the strings there. I, I don't know. Maybe his mom's scouting for him again. You never know. You never know. Um, but you know, Ryan, with managerial changes, do you think that those two are going to have big impacts on, on the rest of the seasons for those respective clubs? Um, I think it would be very difficult for Peterborough. Um, I think they do look, they do look like they're out of their depth a bit in the division. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Barnsley don't, overtake them pretty strongly and Peterborough end up um, bottom of the bottom of the league. I think they're really rebuilding for next year. I think they recognise it's going to be extraordinarily tough for them to stay up. I don't know too much about um, Grant McCann, but uh, it seems to me that they're kind of readying themselves for, for next season. And, you know, they have over the years a remarkable ability to regroup and bounce back within a, within a couple of seasons, a few seasons. So I think that's what they're looking at. The Reading one is interesting. Um, I've thought for a long time that well, Reading are in a slightly false position, obviously for the with the six points deduction. Um, but I've thought for a long time that they were really missing a few key players who were out injured, and obviously you've had Luca Zhao come back, who I think is a really really good striker at this level. I you know put him in the top five or six strikers um, in the division, and he's come back and scored uh, three goals in his you know, in, in the last two games. Um, and he can he can get you a goal or two um, out of nothing. And having a type of player like that in the team really can make a difference. 
Now, by all accounts, I didn't see the game, but by all accounts, Reading didn't play particularly well at home to Birmingham um, and still got the victory. So I'm hoping that this is a bit of a full storm where they're concerned. Um, Paul Lintz has obviously been out of the game for for a long time, uh, but Reading, I think, were underachieving a bit with their old manager. So if a, if a new guy can come in, if it is Paul Lintz and he can kind of motivate them, they, they've still got some good players in that team. They've got experienced players like Danny Drinkwater. They've got... Um, obviously the experience of Tom Ince, who I think on his day, you know, he scored against Derby. I think on his day is um, still a very, very good player um, in this division. Um, so I think it's going to be tough for us to catch Reading. And we're at that point of the season where um, a bad result for us and a, and a good result, positive result for Reading can really widen the gap. I mean, at one stage this week, you know, we could have reduced it to, uh, to two points if results had gone our way and now we're looking at like an eight-point gap. Um, I think it's really important this weekend that we come out of it um, with that uh, with that points gap not having expanded um, between the two teams. I think that's the key thing this weekend. I think we've got to you know, at least match what, what Reading do. So, Ryan, to my point here, the last point I want to discuss with you before, before we part our ways here, Luton Town sitting in eighth. We go to Kenilworth Road. We know Kenilworth Road's a tough place to play. I mean, Luton, I'm just going to reiterate this. Luton Town are eighth in the championship. Okay? It's also mental that Huddersfield's fourth. Whatever. Uh, weird, weird world that we're living in. Uh, but how are, you, how are you looking at Luton and how are you expecting? Because every time we've seen Derby lose a game, they normally come back and they get a reaction in the next game. Are you expecting similar from them or are you expecting a, a, a tired, lackluster performance like we've seen a couple times in the last – last spate of games? I think it'll be a really hard game. I think Kenilworth Road's a difficult place. I know this sounds very cliche, but Kenilworth Road's always difficult. You know, it's a small stadium. The fans are right on top of you. Um, It feels like going to like a proper old lower league ground. Um, And they're doing extraordinarily well. I mean, I can't believe they're as high up as they are. Um, When I see the fixtures with Derby against Luton, particularly earlier on in the season, you kind of think, that's one we should be winning. And, uh, you know, they've been doing better and, and their rise is actually miraculous. Somebody, I can't remember the exact contours of it, but somebody showed something the other day of like their last 10 years. And they've pretty much, I think there's one year that they did worse than the year before, but they've pretty much been on an upward trajectory um, every year for the past decade. So obviously now these days, a very well-run club uh, know what they're doing. They, they play good football. It's kind of direct but uh, controlled direct football. So I think it's going to be a hard game and um, their strikers always seem to cause us a few problems. Um, I think we're going to have to ride out the first 45 minutes because I think they're flying at the moment and they'll come out of the traps quickly and they'll look at what um, Millwall did to us, you know, with that early goal and think if we can get something like that, we can really pin them back. Um, If we're still in the game from like an hour, hour onwards, I think we've always got a chance because um, one thing we do have with the young legs, obviously they're, they're kind of tired game to game, but we do seem to have a lot of energy in the final 10, 15 minutes. And we've, we score a lot of goals after 85 minutes. So if, if we're still in it at, at 60 minutes, I'd fancy us to go on and get a result. Um, I think I think Kazim Richards coming back is a, a big difference. He actually looked to me uh, more on it and kind of fitter coming back this time than when he came back after his uh, previous injury. I thought he looked really dangerous last night. Um, and actually, mentally, 
when he got the ball on the wing to put that cross in, I remember thinking in like that split second, he's actually really underrated in this type of position. He's, you know, really good at like pinging in these low, fast crosses. And I think he'll come on. um, If he doesn't start, I think he'll come on um, in the second half. And, you know, just, just keep it tight, you know, return to those basics of uh, not giving any stupid goals away at the back. And I think we've got a chance. Um, Luton, as I say, Luton are a good side, but on our day, I think we can give anybody a game. And there's not been too many games where I've kind of left left or turned off the computer thinking Derby have been completely outplayed today. Can I push you on a score prediction? I'll go for a one-all draw with a late with a oh. Kazim Richards goal at 81 minutes. That's there a good go. shout. That's specific. That's a good specific shout. No, goal. I think... I think you're dead on. I think it's going to be a tough physical game, kind of with Rhodes tough. I mean, Luton are a, a different animal this season. Um, I saw that same graph, and it's remarkable their growth from like the non-league to their position now, just throughout the course of the years, what a well-run club can do. I mean, Luton's not a sexy place to play football, but they get results, get results where it counts. Um, I could see that, you know, maybe Kazim starts ahead of Luke Plange, maybe Ravel gets a gets a start in midfield. Um, or they could revert back to their super sub roles, which have worked well throughout the course of the season as well. And I think you're right. I think if the first goal is going to be very important, and I think if the if the first, if, if Darby can weather the first 15, 20, 30 minutes, get to halftime, you know, we can we can sneak a goal. So I'm, I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a one nil Darby win because I'm going to be I'm going to be optimistic here um, because I can't I, I got to pick Darby to win, right? No, I think I think like you say, Darby's bit hard, hardly been outplayed. At all this season, we've been in every game, and normally when we lose a game, we tend to we tend to get a reaction. So, well, Ryan, we've just spent a good part of an hour here chatting about Darby. Thank you for returning to the podcast, um, and thank you thank you for your insights. No, thank you, Corey. Great to be with you. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much, and and everyone, thank you so much. Thank you for the, sorry for the lack of podcasts over the last couple of weeks. Like I said, Jason and I have been in umpteen different directions, but we hope to resume normal service very soon. Um, so I'll sign off. And for the next time, there's only one thing, one thing left to say, if I could speak right. And that is up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams review podcast. We would love it. If you'd like to get in touch on Twitter, we're at Rams review one. On Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast, or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.